This podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation News, the publication for professionals working in the UK and Ireland's medical device industry. Subscribe now at medtechnews.com. Hello and welcome to this edition of the MedTalk podcast. I'm Ian Bolland, the editor of MedTech Innovation News. On this episode, I'm joined by Newman Hark, the Managing Director of Silicon Valley Bank's UK branch, as we discuss the company's healthcare investment and exits report. In 2020, both venture capital fundraising and investment in healthcare companies surged to a record level globally. An unprecedented $17.1 billion was raised in new venture funds dedicated to the sector, representing a 57% year-on-year increase from 2019's total of $10.7 billion. The pace of investment in the UK also increased, and by the third quarter of 2020, it exceeded the total number of deals for 2019. Newman and myself discussed the report in more detail. First of all, thanks very much for your time. Um, there are a couple of talking points in the in the report um, from Silicon um, from um, for what, what was sent over. I'm just wondering: is the record surge in venture capital fundraising investment? healthcare companies here to stay or is this just a spike because of the conditions that we're living in right now? I think it depends on how you look at the spike. I mean, last year was extraordinary across uh, all the subsectors, but it's actually been part of a trend over the last three, four years, an acceleration in life science investment that because I think partly of conditions last year did hit a, a spike so I don't think you'll see the numbers repeated this year, but the the trend uh, is definitely up. So am I, am I right to think that um, there would be accelerated investment from 2020, but the 2021, if that was compared to, say, 2019, we are, we're bound to see, you would have said, well, there is accelerated investment and this is an increasingly popular sector for venture capitalists. Yeah, one of the key variables we look at, of course, is the amount of fundraising uh, by the funds themselves, which really gives you a view into how much capital there's going to be in the future over the next sort of three years, if you like. Uh, and that number, as you saw from our report, was nearly 17 billion. You know, it's a huge increase on, you know, in the previous year. So that really augurs well for the amount of capital that companies have, uh, you know, available to them. Um, you know, historically, again, you can see from that report, you know, at the start of 2010 for the next five years, averaged about, you know, four billion, say, in fundraising. You know, for the next, you know, few years, it crept up from sort of six to eight, nine, you know, hitting nearly 11 last year and 17 billion last year. So we we, we know for a fact, essentially, that uh, that 17 billion has to be invested in life science companies. It's way above than the historical norm. So you are going to see an uptick in investments. What we don't know at the moment is whether that will lead to more deals or larger deals or what that combination will look like. And if if recent history is anything to go by, you'll see that capital probably go into um, sort of fewer companies. So, you know, companies will be receiving larger investment rounds on average. Yeah, I'd like to come on to the size of the deals, um, in particular because I'd, I'd like to um, touch upon 
the size of the companies because it seems quite sketchy in terms of what types of companies are receiving this investment. Are, are there are they major players in the market, or are you are you seeing investments even in startups that have actually developed new technologies that are relevant to today and the conditions we're living in? Yeah, so this report really covers. Um, it excludes, for example, big pharma, so that they've got nothing to do with this report. It excludes big biotech. This is really um, the world of high innovation. So, you know, we've got a whole, uh, you know, you'll see on slide eight, for example, on the report, we cover series A biopharma deals, for example. So these are effectively startups. And even, uh, you know, the later rounds in these companies, the B, C and D rounds, these are still very early stage companies uh, you know, very few of them making revenue. A lot of them still in R and D mode, particularly in biopharma. Yeah, I mean, since you mentioned uh, slide eight about the Series A deals, um, you you will actually look at the uh, the deals in particular where you see there's significant investment in oncology, there's significant stuff in neurology. This this gain is it isn't just COVID, is it? Oh, they're far from it. I mean, um, investors have responded to COVID, but, you know, by and large, um, they have their own special areas of expertise and their own investment theses that they won't be dragged away from. And COVID is a hugely pressing health issue, of course. I mean, that's a trivial thing to say, but it's also being addressed uh, through public health measures and the involvement of big pharma with some companies like this. I mean, BioNTech, for example, is an early stage R&D company, effectively. Um, you know, Moderna, another sort of great example. So most of this is not COVID related. You know, well over 90% of it has nothing to do with COVID. When you say 90%, is that in terms of absolute money being spent or in terms of the deals itself? I mean, both, to be honest, um, you know, as I say, the um, there have been COVID investments, particularly in sectors like diagnostics and tools. Obviously, the ramp up in testing that's occurred all around the world has seen, uh, you know, diagnostics and tools companies, you know, benefit enormously. But, you know, biopharma is the single biggest subsector in all of this. Uh, and most of the investment that's gone into those companies is not COVID related. Um, you know, the COVID-related deals that have been um, haven't been either exclusively COVID deals either. And again, Moderna is a good, good example, right? That's a broad mRNA platform uh, that's developed a COVID, you know, vaccine very successfully. Um, right at the other end of the scale, there are a couple of companies, very small, that have managed to get funding on the back of COVID, but they really don't trouble the numbers, you know, here. I mean, they're rounding errors effectively. Okay, uh, I'd like to come on to the um, UK specific part. I mean, you've mentioned diagnostics, and we'll come back to that a little later on in the conversation. But um, I couldn't have but noticed the UK by the by the third quarter of twenty twenty, the UK was responsible for thirty percent of deals. Um, I was wondering how much of this was to do with the UK as a place to invest. Is it because that people are attracted to the UK, or is it because it's got really good life sciences space? I mean, the UK has been a leader in life sciences for decades, 
to be honest. I mean, it's uh, it, you know, it's been a critical sector. We all know about AstraZeneca and GlaxoSmithKline and, and the firms that came before them. You know, but over um, you know over the last two decades, I would say there's just been investment, both public and private, into the early stage ecosystem within life sciences. You know, particularly within you know biopharma, there are you know certain key strengths like cell and gene therapy, for example, where you know certainly we are you know leaders, if you like, and, and, and no worse than anyone else, certainly. Um, so this is really a story that's been built up over a long time on the back of you know a strong uh, heritage in you know, research from the universities research institutes uh, like cancer research uk for example uh, and then you know public funding as well and, and it's worth stressing that on the public funding side um, you know policies like the sort of life sciences industrial strategy uh, that have fueled uh, investments into things like the cell and gene therapy you know catapult have provided assets and facilities that you know, the entire industry can use. Yeah, you mentioned the gene therapy and diagnostics were highlighted as areas of strength. I mean, were there other areas which particularly raised your eyebrows in this report? For example, I'm thinking about digital health and health tech, where we've... Uh, yeah, I mean, health tech is still an emerging sector, I would say. Yeah, definitely still an emerging sector. Um, you know, there are more and more deals you know, being done there. But I think the challenge with health tech in the UK is because you have a health sector on the services side that's dominated by the by the NHS, um, they tend to be the biggest buyer. So it's quite hard, uh, you know, for companies to, you know, commercialize sufficiently, um, you know, to the rate that they could in other countries, perhaps, particularly the US. But I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen huge investment go into companies like you know, Babylon, um, you know, in that particular area, uh, you know, of sort of GP platforms, if you like. But it is increasing, you know, without a doubt. You know, in particular, and this probably is a sort of COVID effect, companies like Babylon but addressing, uh, you know, sort of mental health and mental well-being have seen an uptick in, uh, you know, investment. You mentioned the NHS being a, um, uh, a major buyer, for digital health and health tech, and might be a reason why. But um, sorry, the long-term plan and um, um, and other other initiatives set out by the government in the past couple of years could that could the more digital-focused strategy then enable more investment in this in this sector in the UK? Well, I think it would. And there have been some of those attempts, actually. Uh, the NHS in particular, there were a number of avenues, including things like having its own you know, incubators uh, and accelerators to, to nurture some of these early stage companies, particularly in addressing uh, and understanding how digital tools can impact positively on the NHS. So they, it certainly is a key area to focus on right across healthcare, right? I mean, not just the front end care part, which is critical, but also things like workflow optimization, uh, patient management, you know, for example, um, you know, for example, you know, following the lead of the US and trying to manage the patient's life cycle, and actually trying ultimately to uh, ensure you have a state of affairs where patients ideally only need to come into hospital when they really need to come into hospital, 
you know, or go and physically see a doctor when they really only need to go and see them. So you have the tools to, you know, diagnose, to advise, you know, to consult, um, you know, to provide them with options and something as digitized as much as is, you know, possible. We talked about digital health and health tech, um, but then you actually look at diagnostic tools, tests and analytics, non-invasive device monitoring. These are all areas which you can envisage in the in the short to medium term as you know all being home home use devices and is that a sweet spot at the moment for for investors diagnostics as i said earlier has been one of those areas that's received definitely a covid bump there's been massive investment uh you know into ramping up testing and um you know that through a number of different technologies you know that we've you know that we've read about and you know, COVID isn't going to go away, right? I mean, the development of a vaccine is fantastic news, but we're still going to be in an environment where testing is, you know, quite critical and key. So those technologies are important. And, you know, many of those technologies uh, are coming from companies that are broader diagnostic and tools platforms. So no doubt, you know, this sort of COVID bump, if you like, will definitely help them in terms of their traction in um, other areas as well. Okay, I'm just going to come on to the little bit that was mentioned about not non-invasive devices. Has that shown massive growth? Um, if you if you look at that compared to others, because I'm just wondering, was this a trend that was already there and has now accelerated? In non-invasive devices, yes. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the data are quite small to be honest i mean there's not a huge number of deals in this particular um you know area uh, what i would just say on non-invasive devices is that uh i think there is a desire in some areas to go down the non-invasive route you know as far as possible uh you know we've seen things like electro stimulation in some er- in some areas used to treat conditions uh, and you know and promote that it's less risky obviously the regulatory pathway can be you know a little bit easier if you're a non-invasive device but clearly you know in in some respects um sometimes there's no alternative to a non-invasive and sometimes uh, sorry to an invasive and sometimes invasive devices can have better you know efficacy depending on the area in the report itself was there anything in there that overly surprised you anything that surprised me um again i'll go back to the point I made at the beginning, the amount of funds raised by venture funds was so off the charts. Um, you know, that that blew I mean last year's number blew me away, but this year's was just, you know, astounding. Um in terms of actual investments made, I mean healthcare is a pretty slow moving sector, to be honest. And uh, you know, if you compare this report to our report from last year or the year before, you know, you'll see some areas go up a little bit. You'll see some areas go down a little bit, but the trends remain broadly the same. The bulk of the investment goes into biopharma. Within biopharma, the bulk of the investment goes into, you know, oncology. Um, so a lot of those, you know, high, a lot of those trends actually stay the same for, you know, for quite some period of time. Okay. And if I was to ask you for a prediction as to what you might, uh, what what might be your conclusion in twenty twenty one? What would it be? I know I've got I know you've you've got a crystal ball in front of you right now, so <laughs> Yeah, I wish. Um 
I mean, if you look at the start of the year in terms of alternative fundraising, uh, you know, mechanisms, I mean, in the last quarter of last year, we saw an uptick in the use of so-called, uh, you know, SPAC, special purpose acquisition vehicles uh, across all sectors, actually, not just healthcare. And this year has kicked off in, you know, the same way. So you couple that as a source of capital together with the more established, you know, sort of venture funds that have that, you know, 17 billion over the next two, three years to invest as well. Um, uh, it's going to be another pretty solid year. I know that's not much of an exciting, you know, prediction, just kind of saying the trend is going to continue to a certain degree. Um, and again, you know, again, when within healthcare, because things don't change really that much you will see that money go into many of the same sorts of you know areas uh, you know and you'll see that continuing trend of an increasement in you know in health tech and uh, you know covid is definitely having an impact because it's accelerating some of those technologies you know accessing clinical services while you're at home for example is just a you know necessity um, so in all sorts of markets, either, you know, whether it's private sector dominated like the US or public sector dominated like the UK, you will continue to see, you know, investment and interest in, um, you know, sort of digital platforms and digital technologies. Okay. You probably actually already answered this in a roundabout way, but if you had to pinpoint one area to look at for 2021, which would it be? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, a question like that, I would tend to answer on looking at the data that's expected, you know, this year. I mean, success, you know, particularly in biopharma and medical device to a certain extent is all dependent on, you know, data and clinical trials, when that's positive, it fuels further investment, you know, into these companies. Um, so to me, it's not really about which particular, you know, sector or niche is going to do well. Um, it's really all data driven. It's very difficult to sort of say, oh, you know, you should keep an eye on, uh, you know, metabolic disease, for example, or, uh, you know, solid tumors or something like that. Um all of these indications have, you know, various trials, you know, ongoing. Uh, I think, you know, bigger picture, which is going beyond 2021 specifically, there is a continuing interest in, you know, sort of cell and gene therapy and the promise of, um, you know, immune oncology. So that's, you know, something that we always keep an eye on, quite frankly, to see how those, you know, sort of companies fare. Uh, and I think there will be, Following the success of the mRNA, you know, platforms and developing COVID vaccines, I think as we get over this COVID bump, there'll be sort of renewed interest in the mRNA, uh, you know, platform and a lot of attention to see what else can they, you know, can they develop. And you've got to remember, Moderna was a company that was very much, you know, in the dark in terms of what it was working on, and uh, you know, everybody by now knows the story that actually they managed to develop the drug you know, very quickly. And obviously, it then has to be tested and so on. So that was, um, you know, in some ways, for me, that was the, the really big story in terms of, you know, healthcare R&D in 2020 was the validation of the mRNA platform. 
So if you really put me on the spot, you know, I'd like to see, um, you know, that platform turn out more developments. The Medtalk Podcast, brought to you by MedTech Innovation News.